So I think there will be some really amazing art uh, after this. I don't believe in fiery furnaces Burning underground And none can tell if hell Is simply where we're living now Who knows if there's a golden kingdom In the clouds above Oh baby, don't you ever doubt my love Welcome back to Music at Three Pines, the podcast. My name is Brad Rayley, and this episode is a conversation with Mark Arelli. We first met Mark in 2006 in Norman, Oklahoma, and have been fans ever since. Over the years, we've run into him at other shows, and most recently got to talk to him in New Orleans this past February. He is one of our very favorite musicians, so getting to sit down with him was a real treat. We talk about touring, putting albums together, and protest songs in the age of partisanship. Mark has put out a tremendous body of work since his debut in 1999 with notable albums like Compass and Companion, Hope and Other Casualties, Delivered, his cover album Mixtape, uh, For a Song, and his most recent album Blindsided. He has also produced albums for Laurie McKenna, played Sideman for Paula Cole, and occasionally can be seen as lead guitar player for Josh Ritter. He is more than a musician, however, and has a master's degree in evolutionary biology from the University of Massachusetts. In fact, during this quarantine, he found a monarch caterpillar in his garden. He and his two sons named it Judy, and he tried to help it become a butterfly and finish its journey. Judy didn't make it, but Mark chronicled her short life in his monthly newsletters and social media and found that people responded with intensity. We start our conversation there. May she rest in peace. Yes. Yeah, I saw from your newsletter that you got, I think you got a lot of feedback on that. The people really responded to some kind of a very deep level i did you know uh i think people were just really kind of everyone's kind of holding that same space right now where we're all we're all gripped in these really kind of tidal ginormous forces that we don't have much control over and at the same time we're kind of shrinking down our frames of reference to the to the scale that we can manage you know whether that's Sometimes it's our family, sometimes it's, you know, ourselves, sometimes it's, uh, you know, a bug on the counter. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot, I've seen just in my, my social media stuff, a lot of people seem to be connecting with nature in a way that they didn't maybe have the time or the mental space <laughs> to do so before. And I think that's a really great thing. You know, I wonder how we can keep that moving forward. Uh, you know, because I think I think that's and myself included. I mean, I I try and get outside a lot anyway, and I'm always looking at like, you know, oh, that's the first time I've seen a tiger swallowtail this year. You know, stuff like that. I'm always noting different natural details, but I've I've even noticed more this year, and mm-hmm. I I think that's kind of you know one of a handful of positives that's come mm-hmm. out of this time. Yeah, the big the big stuff is is frankly. Um, too maddening and daunting and frustrating and um, debilitating to kind of to focus on for too long. It'll it'll drive you mad. And yeah. uh, so I think I think the kind of small stuff is really is really where it's at right now. And I think it's possible that that's going to lead to some really great art. I don't know. For me, it feels too early. Mm. You know, like there's some. 
this phrase, emotional composting, about like oh. you experience something and it takes a while for those those emotions to kind of break down into smaller elements that you can then use to create your own art, you know? So it's like you go through this big experience and you think like, oh, this will make for a great song, but you really, you really have to, it does have to kind of break down and, and simmer for a bit, much like compost. And uh, so I think there will be some really amazing art uh, after this. Right now it's everyone I talk to, is just kind of trying to take care of themselves right. and their their loved ones, you know. Yeah, so, myself yeah. included. Just trying to get through the day. Um, in many cases. Yeah, and yeah, and and to get through the to to get through the day, living in a way that a lot of us that are are um, touring musicians, and and there's certainly people who tour less than me, and there's there's people that tour more than me. Those of us that are kind of primarily uh, t- touring musicians. It's, a, it's such a seismic shift in how to be in the world. Um, mm. Early on in this, I realized that this was going to be the longest I had ever slept in one place in my adult life and in my own bed right. in my adult life, you know, since I was 24 or five, you know, wow. almost half my life. There's strategies that I've kind of used to, uh, cope with uh that that amount of restlessness which i does not come to me naturally i Mm -hmm. i like i like kind of going out in small doses but then i like coming home and uh it is nice every once in a while to get a break from that which is which is a rare thing uh, as a touring musician but it's such a different way of being and everyone else is as got their own coping mechanisms like in the family like they're just not used to having me around this much and i think it's you know i mean we we laugh at all that and and it is funny on a certain level but on the other side of this i just i don't think that there's like a switch that's that's going to be able to be flipped where it's like okay dad's going back to work you know it's like everyone's the kids have gotten too used to to being able to depend on me in a way that they might not be able to normally or traditionally and um because this is really the first time in their lives that I have not been away for, you know, away regularly. It wasn't like I was gone ever, like, months and months at a time. But I was regularly going away. And since I haven't done that, now it's, I can't just go away again and, and have everyone be okay. We've got to kind of build up, you know. So it's, yeah. fortunately, I think we have a little bit of time to, to work up to that. But um, I think so not going anywhere anywhere soon, so. When, when when you were touring, by the way, um, did you normally do like a like a two week run and then back home kind of thing, or maybe a week? It, I mean, it really Very it really depended on the kind of touring that I was, uh, what I was touring. Um, for myself, it tends to be oh right four five days. Occasionally, I was set to do like a, a, a week long tour or a ten day tour for for Blindsided um, when it was coming out. You know, my stuff tends to be shorter, shorter runs. And then for people like Lori, it's like a weekend at, at most. Um, right. People like Josh can be anywhere from two weeks to, uh, you know, I think one time we did five weeks. Wow. Um, which was a long time uh, for everyone. <laughs> I've seen like a lot since this started, a lot of artists say, you know what? Like, I really, I don't miss the road. Like, I, I like... 
I like being home like this, you know, and, and the ones that are saying that I, I can understand why they're saying that because they're the ones that are just grinding it out there all the time. Yeah. And there's parts of that that are, that are easy just to like get in the groove and do that one thing myself. I'm always kind of shifting back and forth between those two ex- domestic and, and kind of troubadour extremes. And it can be very jarring. It's jarring for everyone. It's jarring for me when, yeah. you know, I've, I've, uh, I've got to make that transition, but, um, I, I do miss it uh, a lot. Um, but I miss it knowing that, you know, I would only be out for usually four or five days at, at a time and then I'd be home. Yeah. It was interesting talking to Mary Bragg because she she really is a homebody. And so for her, this has been kind of a, even though she's been traumatized like everybody with the, the pandemic and the political dysfunction and everything else, she's not, you know, immune to that. But she likes being home and she finds having that extended writing time available to her, which she says when she's touring on the road, especially with a band, is hard to find. I'm kind of curious, you know, because for some people it feels like that the stress or anxiety of the of the trauma makes it really hard to create art in the middle of that. So I'm curious what your yeah. experience is. Well, um, I mean, it's just it's just one big uh, ironic um, situation. You know, theoretically, I'm home more in one place and I can focus and concentrate but so is everybody else. <laughs> so, you know, next week when everybody in the house is back to school, so my my youngest will be in school on kind of the main floor of the house. My wife is down in the basement here in a room behind me working from home. Uh, and then my older son will be up on the third floor. So there's nowhere I can go to right. not disturb somebody if I want to, or vice versa, if... Uh, if I, if I need some privacy to, to, to write. So since this all started, I've been getting, I've been going to bed, you know, early, you know, nine at the latest, but then I'm up at four, four thirty, And sometimes I'll have like three hours or so uh, until everyone gets up. Mm. And I love that part of the day. There were times when I was using it for writing and um, uh, I was working on a, they're kind of various creative projects, but um, those kind of kind of come in waves. So, like, I, f- I finished all that stuff, and now, like, I tend to just get up and read the New York Times, you know, the, the entire New York Times website and let the rest of the internet before I start my day. <laughs> and I don't know if that's – I started doing the crossword. You know, I don't know if any of this is, is valuable, but it's uh, – th- th- my point is that – it's very hard. Um, I think for some artists that live alone, they can get a little more peace and solitude, but, uh, I would not, uh, describe, uh, my current working conditions <laughs> with those two words, you know, there it, it's great for, for a lot of other things. Um, and I can yeah. be here in a way that, like I was saying before that I just haven't always been able to be, or, or just to, I can be in that role consistently. And so, you know, this, this fall, I'm basically like um, tech support. Uh, I'm uh, like the Italian handyman. If things break around the house, I, I YouTube how to fix it. <laughs> and uh, you know, I remember like the cars that, that the cars need to be reinspected, or someone needs an oil change. You know, it's just. And then we're getting a, a dog, so I'll be I'll be the dog trainer. So you know, it's it's. Uh, it's not a lot of, I wouldn't call it an artistically fertile time, but I would say that it's a very um, life 
uh, fertile time. And, mm. you know, if you're doing it right, that's that stuff eventually finds its way back into the art. So yeah. I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to put too many expectations on myself and be too hard on myself. And also just to kind of remind myself that if you just live, it'll, it'll come out, it'll come back to the art in some ways, you know, and you don't have to, you don't always have to force it and be looking like, is this a song? What about this? Is this a song? (laughs) You know? I mean, back to the composting. Exactly. Just, uh, and I, I say this like, uh, I have an easy time doing it. I I don't. Uh, I'm I am, I'm not restless in terms of wanting to leave home, but I am very restless in terms of like needing projects and wanting to um, accomplish. You know, I want a sense of accomplishment um, every day. Something I just need to feel like I I need to have a list of. You know, I can have my list right here of things that I need to be able to look down and see things crossed out or or see something that i did and feel like i I, like i've made an impact in the day um just because the the job is so amorphous and Mm -hmm. so um boundaryless uh it's you know even if you wrote a song and you have one song and you have a song to show like well there's more you could have written more songs you know like i just need i need concrete things to kind Mm -hmm. of give my keep myself motivated so i'm I'm not always that great at, at just kind of hanging out and being um, being whatever anyone else needs me to be, um, but I'm I'm getting plenty of practice at that. By the way, I'm really sorry you didn't get to tour uh, in in the initial months with Blindsided because it's a fantastic album. We've 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 enjoyed oh, it very thanks. much. We've been thank and- you so much for ordering it and and uh, and listening and yeah I. I was really, really looking forward to that. And, you know, I, I will eventually get to play those songs, um, for, you know, for people and have yeah. done so like on a handful of occasions here. The thing that you can't really recreate is, uh, the kind of the way that releases have to be kind of built up to these days and all the stuff that needs to be lined up and stacked up just so, so that you can kind of get get over that, you know, see over that next hill and maybe get over it. That was lined up as well as it, I could ever imagine it being for me, you know, coming off the uh, Americana Song of the Year nomination right. and stuff like that. And so it's just very hard to kind of reproduce that that buzz um, and that excitement. I've been doing it for, you know, 20 years without it. So I feel, like, I feel like I'll just keep, I'll go back to doing what I do and, 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 you know, we'll work, we'll work hard to kind of get it going again. But that, that was the, that was the hardest part, getting your ducks lined up in a row that, and that we had worked so hard to do. And, um, and it's also just not, that process is not really something that you can really influence very much. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you can do your best, but other people have to kind of sign on and, and, and agree to the potential of a project and to kind of champion it. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't, you know, so we'll find them again, you know, and we'll, there'll be, there'll be other records for sure. But um, this one will always have a a really uh, real special place in in my heart. It's not, not an experience. I'll, I'll soon forget. Yeah. uh, Zach Hickman uh, produced this. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and he's done um, delivered little visuals. 
This is and mixed. So this is his fourth. Oh, okay. Uh, of mine that he's produced. Um, but we did it in a different place this time, and in, in a different, not so much a different way, but in a different place. We, I've made all my records in New England. Yeah, and, and I wanted to work with some different different people this time around. When I started to think of ways to kind of expand my my horizons, my musical horizons, I thought, you know, in my travels around the country and in different performance kind of formats with different artists and in my own in my own gigs, you meet people that become pretty fast and close friends, even though you may not be spending that much time with them. So, you know, there, there's just something of like a trench warfare to uh, uh, aspect of, of being a professional musician. You're out there in these very intense situations, constantly moving, and kind of it feels like a lot of the times the only people that really understand that are the people that are also doing it. And so you meet these these folks, and, and everyone has a certain kind of baseline of camaraderie, but then you meet certain people, obviously, just like in real life, that become really close friends really fast. And, and I started to think about some of the musicians that, and they were all, they all happen to be guys, but that they're not always guys, but um, these, this group was. I started thinking about the guys that I had really connected with in my travels in the last three or four years. And I'm kind of drew up a list and took it to Zach and, and we looked at it and we thought, huh, all these people live in Nashville except for us, you know? And so we thought, well, we'll never get all of them. You know, we'll, we'll make a list and see what we can do. And um, we just happened to get all of them. And so it just made it, it was easier to record in Nashville than it was in New England. So Zach and I went down there. And um, I mean, it was the, it was the only four day stretch that I could have possibly imagined doing it with all those guys. And even then, like the keyboard player had to leave to like sound check for the, the CMAs with Casey Musgraves. And, you know, I mean, it, we didn't, we didn't have everybody for all, you know, all 12 hours of each of those four days, but we, we made a, we made it work. And um, yeah, I'm really, really proud of the result. Yeah, and you should be. The, the lead guitar I was reading, I didn't realize this, is the guy that plays with uh, Isbell, right? Yeah, yeah, Sadler Vaden. Yeah, who is in, incredible. He's just so like good. A, he's a rock and roll puppy dog, you know. He just, yeah. you just kind of set him loose, and um, he, he just gives you all these different options. And mm. you're like, he's like, what about this? What about this? And every option sounds like, like a, this is for like guitar solos. We recorded live in the studio for the basic, you know, tracks. And then if he needed to overdub a solo, he would go in and rip off six or seven solos. And each of them sounds like, you know, it'd be like every, so every version would be like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Mm. That sounds kind of like the thing from this, but it's, it's its own thing. And it's just as catchy. And, and um and well composed but but soulful and gritty and yeah he just i can't say enough great things about sadler and um yeah all all these guys i'm just i'm so grateful to have 
kind of pulled them together and and they'd played in various configurations but they'd never this this particular ensemble had never played together before yeah. so that, that's always something really special i can imagine well i i can only imagine um <laughs> i you know i the first time we got to see you play electric guitar was last summer when we saw you with josh oh, yeah. twice how many instruments do you play i know you play mandolin and guitar obviously yeah um a little lap steel though very much less these days i i should really it's, it's right here i should take it down <laughs> and, and play it yeah that laps basically guitars lap steels harmonica i can you know oh, I yes. can do a little a little you know basic drums and stuff like that i mean i i kind of come from from the school of like well let me just figure out how to do something on this you know is it going to be as good as the iconic master of that instrument no but um can it can i come up with a musical part and if you give me enough overdubs can we can we cobble something together that that serves the song you, you know many times yes yeah um so like in a, in a record like mill towns uh, or hope and other casualties i mean i played a dozen different things um Mm. depending on how you qualify it and you know you just do it enough times and and um and uh and focus on keeping it simple i love doing that i i can lose entire days doing doing that uh, i've been talking to a lot of singer songwriters about how they actually write but i remember you saying something about that you write when you have something that needs saying what i realize yeah. i don't have much in the way of understanding if you're if we get back to blindside or even thinking about hope and other casualties uh, those two kind of for me bookends i'm always kind of curious how those things come together because one of the things i was struck by with blindsided is that the title track in this context in the context of the time we're living in even before the pandemic it had kind of a, a double meaning to it which you know sure. so uh and and even listening to the song it has that double meaning to it um but mm -hmm. how you how do you is this in work with your producers is this how do you find that kind of thematic kind of continuity to these albums um because i i, I hope another casualty is delivered i see very much that way for a song uh you know i really see this kind of coherent thematic kind of musical sound is that something as you're because I, I i'm just thinking that as you're writing individual songs you're not thinking about you know where they're going to fit into uh, an album does that make sense yeah usually yeah absolutely i think in terms of well, the song is, of course, the simplest of units, you know, and, and as you were saying before, that there are times when I'm just kind of writing uh, relatively um, consistently, but, you know, for the most part, it's like, if I feel like I have something to say, then, then that's when I really sit down and try and, and, and express it. So that's the, that's the kind of most basic unit, but then to me the the basic unit uh, uh, above that the next level uh for sharing songs is the album unit uh i know that's not where things are are right now yeah. um but that's the era that i came up in and, and um and i kind of think of them as books you know like sure there's a really great chapter in the grapes of wrath but you know I'd, I'd rather, I think it's better in the context of all the other chapters, you right, know, right. and you can take a lot away a lot more, you know? So to me, the albums are, are like that too. There's different, they come out of, usually come out of different 
parts of your life where you were either experiencing a certain thing or you were um, uh, going through something or noticing uh, things in, in a certain way. And, you know, not to say that all the songs are the same, but it kind of colors each song in, in, in its own way through that lens. And it ends up, you end up with kind of groups of, of material um, that kind of echo each other's, what, what each other's um, sentiments are. And uh, I think it, at times, especially early on, I, I definitely wanted to present a very kind of um, varied album experience. I wanted to um, take people on a real journey of like uh, through all these kind of seemingly different but, but related kind of musical rooms. But as I've kind of gotten further into making records, I, I kind of think the real challenge and the real, the real fun is, is taking people on that journey keeping it constrained in some ways, you know, like really presenting like the sonic vibe of a record and then saying, okay, this is, this is our palette. How much can we do with this? You know? And I think that the limitations become real opportunities at that point. Uh, but you know, in general, when I'm making a record, like it's not just the 12, 10 or 12 best songs that I've written and since the last record, you know, it, there's there's times when, like the hitter, my song the hitter, uh, which came out as a sing standalone single, I was just convinced that was one of the better songs in this group of new material that we were going to use for Blindsided, and I, and I wanted to, I thought, well, for sure we're going to put it on Blindsided. It, it kills every time I play it live. Like, why would we yeah. hold back on it? And you know, Zach was like, it just does, it doesn't fit with any of the other things you've written. Mm. And, and I thought like, well, that's okay. Like it could do, it could be like its own little like moment, like little breather from all the other stuff. But he was right. It, it, it would have been, it would have taken you out of the mood and the vibe of the record, which, which has got some real thematic kind of tendencies to it, but it does, you know, cover a lot of stylistic ground too. So that is something that the producer's, are often really helpful with uh, is seeing the overarching themes and seeing the overarching potential of the songs. Um, and uh, for, for blindsided, for example, um, you know, I gave Zach 30 something songs. I had a lot of songs this time around. Not, it's not my normal output, but the kids were, were a little older and I've been, I'd had a couple of really productive stretches and, and I had like, I had my 10 or 11. And when he came back with his 10 or 11, I was like, uh, whoa, that's not what I was. Wow. Those, those were not, I'd say half of them were, were different. Hmm. Um, but, you know, my, my feeling is you, you hire people you trust. Um, and, you know, Zach isn't a, isn't a hired hand here. So he's, you know, my best friend. Like I, I, if he was hearing something in those songs and if he was hearing that that was the best record that he could make, that was enough for me, you know? Right. Um, and even if there isn't a producer now, like on things like Mill Towns and Four Song, you know, I did those, uh, produced them myself. I think about things the same way, you know, in terms of taking people on a journey, but within these right. kind of thematic or musical or both sorts of constraints, you know, just so that it feels like when you listen to a record, you feels like you've really 
been someplace unique and compelling and um, thought-provoking and, you know, kind of emotionally stirring, you know, and not yes. just like, here's a, here's a group of songs. <laughs> right. Right. I was thinking that, that, cause I know you produced at least Massachusetts for Lori, right? Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and also a, a, an acoustic kind of duo record uh, after that called number doors. Uh, oh yeah. For Lori. No, but I was thinking that, that I'm sure that, that you, you, well, I mean, you produced, what your first album came out in 99 is that right yeah yeah and i was i didn't even realize that compass and companion was that 2001 um i because i love that record i think that uh, for one thing i love that duet you have with kelly willis that's a fantastic song and and really great album so obviously this isn't your first rodeo so you've been thinking about this thematically and like you i uh, we listened to, to albums first you know first song to the last song until at some point they get morphed into a shuffle. But for a while there, they have to be heard the way they were laid down. That order is important. Um, God you know, bless so, you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and, I, and I know that we're, you know, in the Spotify world and everything, we're uh, anomalous, but uh, I'm okay with that. That's, yeah. that's, that's we, you know, we sit down and listen to it. So, you know, I was thinking yeah. as you were talking about Zach coming in there, and, and I know I know you have a long history with him. So, it, I mean, it has to, I mean, you, you looking at these albums as a producer yourself, I, I can really see that, that, but that's a cool thing of trusting that he's hearing things that maybe, you know, you might be too close to one, you know, like you were with uh, the hitter or something like that. That might be. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it goes right down the line from the producer to the engineer, to the um, musicians. I mean, I just, anytime I'm doing something of my own, um, or even producing something for someone else. Like I just, I hire people I respect and, and um, love and, and really, you know, value what they do. And then I just try and get out of their way and let them do it. I don't know if they're on one hand, but certainly with on both hands with fingers left over, there's been uh, that I can count the number of times when I've kind of um, not necessarily put my foot down, but just said to someone like, it really has to be, it has to be this because this mm. is what I'm hearing in my head. It tends to happen more on the things that I'm producing. Like for a song, had several, um, like the solo section of, of Netherlands on for a song. I was hearing this very specific interplay between the pedal steel and the piano. And I had like separate conversations with either of them where I was like, you just need to do this. The other guy's going to do this. And when it all comes together, it's going to be this very simple, stately, but like mm. effective thing. Um, that's not how I normally approach things. It's usually I'm just like, here we go, do your thing. Um, can I ask you about in terms of your writing? I've been I've, I've listened to a lot of your music over the years, um, and I was thinking about uh, sort of a couple of themes that I hear, um, and I think there are more. These are just two that kind of popped mm-hmm. in my mind, but. The first one was was there's there's actually a fair amount of religious imagery in your writing, um, <laughs> and I'm kind of curious. I I was wondering if that is a is literary. Is that is that you as as a literate human who has read a lot and thinks about these things, or is if you don't mind me asking, is it something that comes from a from a religious background? Like Josh Ritter, I know has a religious kind of upbringing that informs. Yeah, that. yeah. No, I mean I was raised. Um, I was raised Catholic uh, under much duress. Uh, I I was not into it at all. 
and stopped going and, and ran away from it at, at the earliest chance I had. I'm just, I'm not much of a joiner. Hmm. Uh, and I recognize that religion plays a very, has a, has a really amazing role to play and a real comforting role for a lot of people. Yeah. It does not play that role for me. I've, I have tried to let it into my heart in that way and it just does not move me. But other things do, so I gravitate towards that. The, those images and those stories which are kind of based on these deeply human things and, and really rooted in like the human experience and and the process of humans trying to make sense of of how to live. Mm-hmm. Um, those things are fascinating to me, and and it's I don't I try not to like keep it out of the work, but I also try to if it comes in the work, I try not to have it be like a lazy. Mm-hmm in a lazy way. Like sometimes people can use religious imagery to kind of stand in for other stories that they don't, that they can't tell as well. You know, um, I won't cite any examples, but you know, it's, and also a lot of times, frankly, it's just, it's the kind of conservative, uh, equivalent of Mm. what people call virtue signaling, uh, Mm. on the left, you know? Right. And I'm just, I'm not interested in, in, in being a part of the group. You know, I'm int- I if I was anything, I probably should have been a Quaker, you know, because it's like, it's all very individual and very internal. Um, but I've never, I have, that's one I haven't tried, but uh, maybe someday. Well, that, that makes sense, actually, because I, I, I can absolutely see that these are, 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 these are hints. They're not dog whistles. They're hints. They're, yeah. they're imagery that I think, and like I said, I was listening and I can't even remember which song, because uh, in another song you were you had a Shakespeare reference, and I was thinking about this in in a very kind of uh, literary and like you said, these are our human stories. The Okay, so the second theme I'm curious about, and this one I'm, I'm sure you've been asked about before, and I tried to do my homework and read up on some of the interviews so I wasn't just being a, a knob and asking you the same questions everybody else asks, but uh, one of the themes is nostalgia. Oh, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I can certainly see that now um, with you having said that. Uh, that's kind of, that's kind of, I think been it's been more present in my work kind of as I approach you know midlife you get to that inflection point where you are old enough uh, or you're you're still young enough that you can remember what it felt like to be a kid but you're old enough that you can kind of see off into the horizon there and go like huh it drops off right there (laughs) you know like I'm not there but I can see it from here and it gives you this very unique perspective, and I think it, it 
allows you to write songs that you you couldn't have authentically accessed, you know, as a younger person. And there's even I'll come across things now in my writing, you know, that were written as a younger man where I'm like, ah, oh, right, okay, I was trying, but I I, yeah. I did the best with with the life experience I had at the time. I just didn't have the whole spectrum. So I think the nostalgia kind of has started to filter in really as a byproduct of of becoming a parent Mm. and um it's not so much maybe nostalgia as it is just kind of trying to reckon the distance between how you remember things being as a kid and the way that they are now for your Mm. kids you really took it on head on with rose-colored rear view And by the way, when I say that you have this theme of nostalgia, I'm just thinking about songs that kind of evoke a sense of the past. I've never found them to be cloying or, you know, overly nostalgic. There's a sense there of just sort of, um, I'm trying to remember the song about the circus uh, fire. Um, oh, yeah, Hartford Town. Yeah. They dry and dusty summer day when that wagon train pulled in. Just three hours till the matinee was scheduled to be. Yeah. which has an element there of evoking this small town thing. And yet it's also subverting this as this wasn't the best of times. I mean, this was a horrible experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's becoming more of a, of a factor in making set lists, you know, where I'll uh, look down and I'll see a couple songs that like kind of musically might work together pretty well. And then I'm like, Oh wait, those are both. No, I can't do those back to back or even necessarily in the same show i mean how many people want to hear about that you know that many times but um yeah i i have noticed it too uh kind of you know i mean basement days and magic and uh rose all the way up to rose color rear view and the hitter one more theme real quick if you don't mind then i have just a couple of final questions i don't want to take your time i appreciate this so much protest songs this podcast is not to get political or anything like that but i was I was very mindful, and I know because uh, I follow you on Twitter, and we were all seeing this with uh, Chris Stapleton, you know, getting the pushback he's he's gotten, and and, and just in the last couple yeah. of weeks, it feels like, um, you know, Jason Isbell is always being told to shut up and sing, and uh, just recently I saw John Moreland was you know telling people what he thought of that, and John Calvin Abney, I don't know if you know him, uh, same kind of thing, and and so seeing this, and I was thinking about, I mean, my very first interaction with you was. Uh, Hoping of the Casualties, which is a very political album uh, sure. without, of course, hitting you over the head with it, which is what I really appreciate. And so you've been you've been stepping into this for a long time in a tradition, of course, of folk music, which has been inherently political, going back to Woody and and yeah. so many great, you know, musicians. How have you how, I, I know you've tried to kind of keep out of you know, the, the overt political stuff out of your shows, but I have to think you've been 
you know, had people say, hey, Mark, I love your songs, but why do you have to talk about the Iraq war? Or, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm curious what how you've seen that kind of evolve or change. Yeah, you know, I don't think I get nearly the amount of blowback um, that certainly that someone like a Jason Isbell or a Roseanne Cash um, gets, um, or certainly a, a Chris Stapleton. I mean, um, I don't think anyone's, I don't think any, the, the bigger you are, I think the less immune you are to it. I mean, when Neil Young uh, recorded uh, Let's Impeach the President, I don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. song. I saw him out on tour that summer with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and I saw a audience of old hippies boo Neil Young when he sang that song. And I was Man. like, okay, I guess it happens to everyone. But you know, it doesn't actually happen to me a ton and I I've often wondered if that was if that just meant I wasn't getting through to anyone I think it I think what it has to do more than anything with is trends in media consumption mm. you know when Neil Young was singing Ohio um, you know how many radio stations were there how many television channels how many right. places were there to get your music I don't know for sure, but there were a fraction of what there are today. And so you would, you know, the, the country or the world is, is a, is a, has a whole um, spectrum of opinions and, and philosophies as it should. And when, you know, when those people have to go to a few places, you know, you're going to, you're going to get people that think differently than you. And, And that's, that's kind of part of what I miss about, um, that that era of the music business is being able to know that your music was uh you know that people that maybe didn't think like you were being exposed to your music in some way now i i can imagine it doesn't feel great when you know that they're being exposed to it and yet you don't feel like they're hearing it right um or really listening so i'm sure bruce springsteen was pretty happy with how many hits he had off the board in the USA, but I'm, I have to imagine a, a part of him was pretty ticked off that like, there's all these people listening to it and they don't understand what the hell he's singing about. So I, you know, like for example, when I put out by degrees here, Mark is referencing his 2018 song by degrees protesting gun violence, featuring Roseanne Cash, Lori McKenna, Anais Mitchell, Josh Ritter and Cheryl Crow in the effort. That song was nominated for Best Song of the Year in 2019 Americana Awards. When I take a look around me, sometimes I wish I was blind. Feels like something sacred's dying, one headline at a time. I can't tear myself away, no, I just stare in disbelief. Can learn to live with anything when it happens by degrees. I was very nervous. I, you know, I thought like the gun thing is is very um, it's very real in this country. It's not a huge danger here in Massachusetts, which has the strictest or among the strictest gun laws in the country. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know when I'm out on the road somewhere is like, is some crazy person that heard the song and thinks that I'm advocating to take everybody's guns away. Are they going to show up at one of my shows? And is there going to be a problem? Yeah. Um, 
So I was very nervous when I was submitting that. I mean, I was visibly shaking when I was like mm. hitting the hitting the submission to put it up online, but it never happened. Mm. And uh, I'm sure, you know, people like Roseanne Cash that, um, you know, I'm so grateful for her signing on to that project. I'm, I did see things that people wrote her and I don't know if Josh or Lori or Cheryl got anything. My audience... I'll occasionally get an email from someone. It's always a guy, an old white, older white guy, um, and of which I will join that group very shortly. They may come by. They may have honest um, kind of differences of belief or opinion, and that's of course allowed. But I think a lot of these guys are, are just 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 feel deeply unseen and unwitnessed and unheard. And I think maybe there's this perception that someone like me or the Dixie Chicks gets mm. to be heard. Mm. And there's this real frustration and they can lash out, not at the Dixie Chicks, but they can lash out at me because if you email me, I will email you back. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of thing just happened. It was a guy that I would say I get one of these emails maybe every 18 months or two years. It's not, mm. that's not a lot. And I just had one from a guy that had been a fan for years since my first record. And, and I'd seen him at concerts. I'd shaken his hand. You know, I just told him, I was like, look, I'm thinking about this stuff a lot. I don't claim to be right about everything, but I'm thinking deeply about how things make the most sense to me. And then I'm speaking out in that manner, either on social media or it finds its way into my songs because I'm just living life and writing songs about life. I will never say anything just that I don't believe just to kind of shock people and get attention. Yeah. We all know that that's a part of, uh, that's entertaining. And, yes. and that's, that's part of entertainment. And I'm not, I'm, entertainment is part of what I do, but it's not, I'm not an entertainer. You know, I, if I if I may be so bold, I, I'm I'm an artist, and I don't feel I don't feel an obligation to entertain at, at any cost. And I told the guy that I'm just not willing to have a functionally dishonest relationship with my listeners and my fans mm -hmm. for the sake of keeping them on the hook and, and, you know, selling them more things. So I'm going to speak my mind and I'm going to write my mind and I'm going to sing my mind and my heart. And if you like it, that's great. And if, if you agree and you, and you want to keep listening, great. If you don't agree, that's also fine. And I, you know, I told him like, you don't have to listen. I hope you do because I think we really need to listen. Hmm. We need to listen to each other. You know, and I have trouble doing that too. Every time I hear stories of, of people that are somehow still supporting this current right. president, and I just, I, I can't conceive of it. Um, but I'm just not willing to be dishonest with people and smile, you know, for the camera. I'm, I'm just not, I'm not selling enough things. I'm not making enough money to kind of sell my soul like that. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of taking a different, it's a different road, but it's not, I'm not unique in it. It's been traveled, as you said, by, you know, everyone from, you know, Woody Guthrie to Billie Holiday to Bob Dylan. And, you know, you know, I, I hope to be one more kind of humble link in, the, in that chain of people that 
sing out about this stuff. Right. And, you know, you sing, you sing because it's, it's a part of life. And, and, you know, you noticed that this stuff started to become a factor in my work in 2006 with open other, other casualties. When my first son was born in 2007, mm. you know, I was writing songs about the world that I was thinking mm. about bringing another soul into and wondering like, if that was a responsible mm. thing to even do, mm. um, you know, should I inflict <laughs> this world on another soul? You know, it, at the time I remember that was, it sounds melodramatic, but um, no. that was really kind of how I was thinking of it. You know, like who, who am I to, to make that decision for someone? But I was, you know, I, I was writing about things that were very, from a very personal place. And I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't writing about things from a place of let's all vote this way. I was really grappling with it, whether it's, you know, having really thought through things and really being kind of crystal clear or a lot of times it's like right in here when everything is just really stirring up and really passionate. And it's really, it's something that you just, you don't want to see, but you can't look away from mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, by degrees was, was one of those. And by the way, Hope and Other Casualties, I found that because I was bearing. And a friend yeah. actually uh, in the blog world actually sent me a note and said, you need to listen to this album. And I did, uh -huh. and then realized you were coming to town. So um, that, oh, you know, I, I appreciate that kind of honesty, absolutely. So um, that's, ama that's amazing. That's great that people are doing that. You hope that they are, but I feel like that tradition is, is alive and well and and certainly you know in um continues to be in in artists yeah. like uh, you know our native daughters and i hear those those guys that say that all the you know great music was was back back then in the 60s and 70s i i hear that and i and i truly identify with that opinion um i think what they're actually i mean they're, of course the music was fantastic but what they're also remembering and what maybe it's it's hard to, to kind of separate out from the music is that kind of feeling uh that like a whole culture was like witnessing this thing together so everyone because there were fewer fewer places to get music and mm. fewer people doing it everyone was kind of you know everyone heard ohio mm -hmm. everyone heard blowing in the wind mm. you know yeah everyone yeah and you know not everyone liked it, but enough people did that, that they have this, it's part of their story. And now it's really easy to miss someone like myself or Jeffrey Foucault or Rachel mm. Kilgore or whoever it is. It's also really easy to miss someone like Josh Ritter, who has several magnitudes, uh, orders of magnitude, bigger reach than, than all of us combined. So I think there's just not that sense of solidarity of the music being able to, to serve as a foundation. A friend of mine actually framed it. We were actually going to see Josh Ritter at the Boulder Theater in um, 2016. And he said it's, I, he defined it as a decline of monoculture. He said, you know, everybody heard Prince, everybody heard Springsteen. But, you know, he and I are, are really in tune Americana fans and he will mention somebody I've never heard of and vice versa. You know, and that, that, that was harder to do in the 60s and 70s because of radio and because they were, you know, so um, that, that's part when of it. When you put it that way, that's, that's 
beautiful. I mean, I don't want monoculture, you know? I mean, it's, right. it's, it's not a biologically sustainable thing. It's not an artistically interesting thing. I mean, I think you could make a case now that when it is more artistically interesting now, I'm not saying yes. that there's, that it's better or worse. It's just different music, but it is, it is, there's just more of it. A group like our native daughters mm-hmm. or, uh, or Rihanna Giddens would have had a very difficult time. Yes. At, at, uh, not long ago, the demise of monoculture is, is a good thing. This demise of monoculture has allowed me to be an artist and continue to do my thing. I have three final questions. These are questions I've been asking everybody. The, the one thing I'm going to qualify the first one with you because you, I, I'm thinking about your mixtape album. Just, I mean, you have listened to a lot of music. You are a student of music, listen to a lot of it. So uh, the first question I have for you is about a songwriter that makes your jaw drop. And for you, I was wondering if you could think of somebody contemporary and then somebody perhaps who's no longer with us. Oh, I mean, you know, my friends regularly happens with my friends. I mean, someone like Josh and, uh, and Lori um, McKenna, they, they make my jaw drop all the time, yeah. you know, and maybe more so because I, I know them. I've known them for since they before they knew how to do what they do. Right. And I've and I've been there the whole time and I so I've seen them and I'm like, "Wait, when did you when did you learn how to do that? You know, what where what did you eat that let you get this strange new superpower or what what cosmic ray were you exposed to when I was was not uh, you know around?" But um so yeah, I'd say contemporaries, you know, and that people like them and, and Anais Mitchell for sure. Yes. Um, and then as far as, um, I mean, she's still with us, but uh, not working so much right now, but but someone like a Joni Mitchell is yeah. just uh, mind-blowing. Okay, second question. You are often categorized as folk. In fact, one of the reviewers of your, you probably saw this, of Blindsided, uh, referred to you as your normal form was gentle folk balladry. And uh, I found that kind of funny because I, I, I mean, while you can do that, that's not the way I would describe you. I, I found that to be, yeah. you know, but um, yeah. So the question is really what kind of, are there outside forms or genres of music that have, do you think informed your either sense of, of um, maybe for hooks or, lyrics or rhythm or even performance sure i think the two that come to mind right off the bat are are the blues which is a foundational part of of popular music here in america everything from rock and roll up to uh you know the current day rock and roll which is rap you know rap serves that that kind of cultural, that level of cultural impact and that you couldn't have either of those things without the blues. Had a very sustained and deep um, kind of re- listening uh, relationship with the blues in high school. I just really connected with it for some reason. I didn't always understand it, but I, I, that was all I listened to for three years was mostly what I listened to. And even now, when when you know, I find a radio station that plays blues in in its normal rotation, as opposed to like at you know three a.m. on Tuesday morning, tune into our blues show when the entire world is asleep. Uh, 
you know, when I find a station that plays blues in the, in the normal rotation, I mean, that to me is the definition of a great radio station mm. um, because it's, it is very much at a kind of, it waxes and wanes and it's a, a very kind of waning point in terms of its cultural influence right now, but it is, it is a primal um, mm. primary influence on me and um and then country music was it was a big one too um really through guys like hank williams and um and willie nelson and and also through vocalists like like patsy klein was was another big one just in of the song structure and then you know it, it also features just some amazing amazing voices you know yeah. of course hank williams there's the there's the intersection with the blues right there right and then these kind of kind of big torchy country singers like um like uh patsy klein obviously i grew up with mtv and rock and roll and i'm a big fan of tom petty and all that um and the stuff i grew up with but the blues i mean allman brothers band steve ray vaughn were were big for me growing up and and then i would just dig back you know who wrote that song who wrote stormy monday you know who wrote his who wrote his songs you know you you end up back in the days of robert johnson and and uh very quickly you know i mean it's 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 one step to go from eric clapton to robert johnson right I was thinking the first time I heard Statesboro Blues, I think, might have been Chris Smither. I'm not sure. And then I realized how many people had done a version of that song. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, and then then you're back to, you know, was it Blind Willie McTell, I think, who wrote it maybe or is attributed to it? I think it's, is it? Is it? I want to say it's Elmore James, but I'm not it might sure. Be. I'm gonna look, while we're here, I'm looking it up because okay. I, that's, that's just who I am. But but hit me with your hit me with your um your the third uh, lightning round here. I know. Okay. I'm, this question has morphed, uh, but I'll I'll give you the first version. Um, okay. And the first version is: Do you have a guilty pleasure music? And then I will say that I feel guilty asking people to feel guilty about music. So there's that. <laughs> okay, first of all, before we go any further, you are right. It is a Blind Willie McTell song. And maybe I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking Dust My Broom, I think, is what I was thinking of uh, for Elmore James. But yeah, State's Borough Blues goes back to, to Blind Willie McTell. There you go. All right. Um, what was it? It was Guilty sorry, Pleasure. I was distracted. Guilty Pleasure. <laughs> um, Which I feel guilty asking about. Music that maybe your fans might be surprised you like. Well,. There was a hair metal period for sure um, back in junior high. Um, that was that was what was popular when I was at that point in my life. Um, it's not something I like, and I'm sure if I, you know, caught my sons listening to m- music with lyrics like that, I would have something to say. Um, but that was, you know some of those big old power ballads that 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 uh, ruled the airwaves when I was growing up. It, you know. Josh calls called them the monster ballads, you know, those oh. that, that's what he's referring to, you know. Um so yeah, that was a that was a guilty pleasure at one time and and it's not something that I, you know, listen to or would choose to listen to right now, but if you know, if if every rose had a thorn has its thorn came on the radio right now, I could I could probably sing you every <laughs> line. And and probably, you know, some of the more unsavory motley crew uh hits you know so so yeah that was definitely part of it um 
and you know the 80s music in general like i'm not uh i don't fetishize that time um at all but uh there's there's some great stuff there you know there's some real songs hiding in plain day like uh, when i covered um you know against all odds that take away yeah. me now that phil collins song i mean that's there there are ob- objectively great songs in all these different eras I think uh, I think all those guilty pleasures have to do a lot with when you were a kid. By the way, after mixtape, did uh, uh, are, are you friends with Nico Case? I'm just curious. I've not ever met her. I, I mean, we have mutual friends. I know that, but um, I've always hoped that I would meet her. I know my wife hopes that I would meet her because she, my wife's a huge Nico Case fan. Oh. Just curious if you heard back from her about your your cover. Um, I think she. I think I remember she replied to my like one of my posts about it with like a, a heart and I thought I'm done. That's yeah. <laughs> I can, that seems... That's great. You know, like I don't know if that meant she heard it or just thank you. I don't know. I don't know if she's ever heard it. I thought for sure that like someone, I mean, I knew the, the dead artist would be pretty hard to, to, um, to meet, but um, I thought for sure that like the bigger artists were going to be the ones that were the hardest to kind of, interact with uh or get them to hear my versions of their songs just as a not not wanting anything just to let them Mm -hmm. just to thank them and i guess i thought that like of all the ones that i recorded that like that phil collins would have been the hardest one but it turns out we i i have a mutual acquaintance that i didn't realize and a, a guy wrote to me after i after i put that out and he goes you know i know i know phil collins through his former manager and and um i was like can you get on the song that would be amazing you know i don't want anything i'm not trying to go out on tour with phil collins i just right i think you might i would enjoy hearing what i did to that song if it was my song you know and sure enough i got an email through phil through this mutual friend from phil collins you know it was like tell him i i love what he did with the song you know it's like are you kidding me like that's so if I can mean if I can kind of hear that from Phil Collins, it's just a matter of time from Nico Case. Where, That's well, exactly well. right. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you doing this. This has been a blast for me. Um, like I said, you you kind of have a, a deep anchor in both how Lisa and I have experienced these smaller venues and and listening to singer songwriters, and so we've enjoyed getting to to see you over the years. It was fun seeing you in New Orleans and you know, and stuff, but, uh, we're big fans and, uh, we look forward to hearing you down the road. And if you're ever in Colorado and we'd love to, to see you, hear you, whatever. Um, but, uh, yes to all of that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, you know, uh, who knows the time timeline there, but yes, yes to all of it. Like Good. I just, I'm so grateful to, I'm grateful that people have heard my, yeah work and i'm and i want to get out there and do it for them again and it and it it, um you know on the other side of this even though i never took it for granted i i think i will redouble my efforts to just uh always realize that it it could go away literally overnight because it literally could and it literally did did. and um and you know I, i don't i think i will i will never walk into any performance situation with a sense of um casualness ever Mm. again it will always be you know as my friend zach hickman says it'll always be an occasion of like play it like they're gonna take it away because they might
Thanks for listening. I hope you will visit Mark's website and purchase some of his great albums. You will not be disappointed. And please support musicians and artists. We need our poets and truth-tellers now more than ever. See you next time on Music at Three Pines, the podcast. I know everyone's a good dog under these three pines.